uh, about that and uh, all that God is doing. Okay, let me ask a question. Let's start uh, by asking a question. I wonder what is the greatest need that Christians and the church has today? In these changing times, in these Kairos times, if you were with us last week, uh, I wonder how would you answer that question? My belief and my inkling is that the greatest need we have as believers and as a church today is we need a fresh revelation and understanding of who God is. You see, I believe we so often dumb God down to an earthly level and fail to see that he is above and beyond our understanding. And and my heart for the coming weeks is that in this preaching series entitled Unrivaled, we recapture the big picture of all that God is. So as I said, for the next eight weeks, what we're going to do is we are going to look at eight statements of who God is. Unrivaled, God is filling the gap with one statement about who God is each week. Because I believe if your knowledge of God doesn't grow, then you won't grow as a believer. Theology, what we believe about God It matters. Let me give you some examples of how it matters. If we believe that God is a God of justice, who loves the poor and the oppressed, then we will fight injustice. We will fight those who are oppressing children, those who are involved in the sex trafficking trade. We will fight that because we believe in a just God. If we understand that God is a holy God, it will lead to some of the revivals that happened in the past when it was holiness and an understanding of the holiness of God that led to some incredible revivals in this land and across the world. If we have an understanding of the grace of God, that we are loved no matter what, it will free us from legalism and perfectionism. If we have an understanding of the Father heart of God, that he loves us and is for us and is tender in his dealings with us, it will help to bend the brokenhearted and mend those whose lives have been hurt and those lives who've been, been messed around with. Our understanding, our theology of God will then change how we behave. It will change and make a difference to our lives. You see, we are transformed by a revelation of who God is. And what happens is, when we lose sight of the majesty of God, what we invariably do is we fill that gap in our vision with the lie of the majesty of someone else, a spouse, a friend, a political leader, uh, a child, or some other person in our lives. And let me tell you, that's exhausting. That's exhausting. If we give worship to anyone else other than God, it's exhausting because they will let us down. So this series, Unrivaled, we are going to focus on who God is. 
Because listen, we cannot worship who we do not know. Let me, let me give you another concrete example. When, when, when I think and compliment my wife, Jen, I ground what I say in facts, in truth. So I say, Jen, Jen is beautiful. She has beautiful blonde hair. She has an infectious laugh. She is kind and caring. She, she loves to be generous and give good gifts to those around her. I'm complimenting and giving praise to her based upon facts. If I didn't know her very well, if my relationship with her wasn't very deep, then, then how could I honor her when I don't know her very well? My, my honoring of her would be very limited. And it's the same with us and God. When we praise we praise, sorry, and experience God more when we know him more. When we know the character of God more, it's like putting heavy logs on a fire. A fire in our heart that burns brighter and burns stronger and burns longer. So that's what we're going to be doing over the coming weeks. We're going to be taking some big logs and putting them in the fire. And I hope and pray for each one of you in your relationship with God. I hope and pray that that log will burn brightly and strongly and deepen and increase your relationship with God, your experience of God, and your understanding of God. So today, we're going to kick off the series by looking at this. God is infinite. He is a God of no limits. I didn't want to go into a 90s pop song. Do, 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 do. I'm not going to go there. Not going to go there. There's no limits. Anyway, you're going to have that song rolling around in your head now. Why did I do that? Okay, let me, let me, let me give you a fact. Mark Waterfield was born on the 9th of October, 1974. Time, 6.14 p.m. And I weighed 11 pounds and one ounce. And if you talk to my mum, she says... Yeah, and you had a really big head. That's what my mum always says. So, probably can't say that. I'm like 40-something years old now. Why are you telling everyone that I had a big head uh, when I was born? But anyway, that's what she likes to say. Mothers, mothers, mothers. Now, listen. Here's the reason I'm giving you that information. Because, because that information on the screen about when I was born, the time I was born, the weight of which I was born, that is a legally attested fact that I... I'm not like God. Now, there's ample proof over the last 47 years that I am not anything like God. But before I formed my first rebellious thought, or before I took my first defiant step, there is a huge chasm between who God is and who I am. And here's the simple fact. I was measurable, and God is not measurable. He is limitless and infinite. God is not bound by any limits. In fact, he defies measurement of any kind. Limitless, it basically underlines all of God's attributes. He is limitless in love. He is limitless in knowledge. He is limitless in power. He is limitless in mercy. And the list could go on and on and on. No one 
can place any aspect of who God is on a set of scales or measure it with a measuring tape. Now, we humans are lovers of measurement. We, we love measurement. We do. You go to your cupboard at home, and on every carton or every tin, there are measurements. It tells you how much it weighs. It tells you the calories. It tells you the fat. It tells you the sugar. There are measurements everywhere we look. The clock on our wrist or on our phone measures how much time till dinner or how much time till our next appointment or how much time till we have to be in a certain place to go and meet someone. In our cars, we have a petrol gauge that measures how many miles we can drive before we need to fill up with petrol. Our social media measures our circle of friends and influence. It, it, it kind of tells us, rightly or wrongly, how influential we think we are. Systems of measurement are everywhere. And, and we also like to measure one another, don't we? We like to measure fellow human beings. In a job interview, you know, the people doing the interviewing will often have a piece of paper in which they measure someone's strengths and weaknesses. We like to take a measure of someone's character or abilities. And we tend to judge whether that person is worthy of our trust or worthy of our support. And then we measure ourselves. We all measure ourselves. We compare ourselves to others. We, we measure, compare ourselves to others and think, oh, I'm smarter than them. I'm more clever than they are. Or I'm holier and more godly than that group of people. You know, we, we measure ourselves. And we choose human yardsticks with care, so often, often we, we, we form favorably above everybody else. We choose the yardstick that makes us look good. Oh, compared to X, Y, and Z, I'm doing well. I'm doing great. Or sometimes if we're in a negative mindset, we, we use the yardstick of measurement to make ourselves feel terrible. Oh, compared to X, Y, and Z, I'm awful. I'm terrible. My life is a mess. So whichever way we do it, we, we measure ourselves to make ourselves sometimes feel better or to make ourselves feel worse. We like to create a myth in our minds about the ascendancy we have and about how good we look compared to others. I think the human mind seeks to control things by measurement. And you see, that said, when we come to God, we have a conundrum. Because the God of the Bible is infinite, unmeasurable, unquantifiable, and without limits. And we can't confine him to a physical boundary or a mental boundary. We cannot control him. And we never stack up favorably Beside him. Let's look at a few scriptures. Let's look at what Job's companion Zophar said about God in Job chapter 11, verses 7 to 9. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. 
Now listen to what David says. David praises the fact that no one can fathom God's greatness. Psalm 145 and verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. There it is. And then, and then, and then just to kind of make your minds work just a little bit harder this morning. Paradoxically, he who is measurable is himself the measurer of all things. Isaiah 40, 12 to 13. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marks off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Now, if you want to boil it down, you can boil it down to this. Who has measured everything? God has. Who has measured God? No one. No one. He is the God of no limits. He is the God of whom he has no rivals. He is the God who is incomparable. Any comparisons fall short. To say someone or anything is like him is to try to express the unlimited in limited terms. And we find ourselves ill-equipped to express God's perfections in terms that we can understand. But scripture and human beings still try. Exodus 15 verse 11. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? And Isaiah 40 verse 18. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? Who is like the Lord? No one is like the Lord. Creation. You see, creation, the world we live in, creation, it exists within the limits of time and space. But it cannot rival the splendor of our limitless God. Now, what I want to do is this. I want to boil this down to two questions for each of us. Off the back of the fact that God is limitless, that God is infinite. I want to boil it down to two questions that I want each of us to grapple with in light of this truth about who God is. The first question is this. Will you reflect or rival? If you're a parent, you'll know that as soon as your first child can crawl, they will explore the limits at which they can go. They'll explore the limits of the world that you put in front of them. They'll, they'll, they'll push the limits and explore what they're allowed to touch, <clears throat> excuse me, and what is off limits or what is there that they can touch and hold. I mean, if you put a little toddler or a little one that can crawl in a room and you say there's 20 objects that you can enjoy, 20 objects that you can play with, but there's one object over here that you can't touch. There's one object over here that you can't go to. Within time, within time, that toddler will be over there trying to go and touch that forbidden object, the one that you said that they couldn't go to. You see, we do not outgrow our ability or our desire to test 
limits. We don't. That's, that's how a, a little one starts, testing the boundaries and testing the limits. And as we grow older, we continue to test the limits. All of us as human beings are line crossers and boundary breakers. And we have this deep-seated question. We question the boundaries that God has placed in his word. And, and we suspect that what is withheld is desirable rather than dangerous. And in the opening pages of the Bible, our parents, Adam and Eve, were placed in an environment that was perfect in every way. They were placed in an environment that was designed for their safety and their delight. But you see, it was not enough for Adam and Eve to bear the image of God within the limits of human existence. They desired to become like God. They heard the whisper of the crafty serpent who suggested that limitless, limitlessness was within their reach. Listen to Genesis 3 and verse 4 to 5. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And from that moment on in Genesis chapter 3, we see a pattern, a corrosive pattern that spread throughout human history of humans aspiring to be divine. A desire within humanity to grasp after what was God's and not to enjoy the bountiful, plentiful garden that they had been given. And this question to reflect or rival is right at the heart of our lives as human beings. You see, as human beings, we were created to bear the image of God. But instead, from Genesis chapter 3 onwards, human beings chose to aspire to become like God. We were designed to reflect his glory, not to rival his glory. And so often we are like Adam and Eve in going after the things that God intended only for himself and not to reflect him in our lives. Let me put up a list on the screen, which I hope really helps. This is a list that tells you what only God is and then what we can be. So the list on the, uh, depends how you look at it, on the left-hand side, only God is infinite, only God is eternal, only God is omnipresent, omniscient, sovereign, is so on and so on. There's some of the things we're going to be looking at over the next eight weeks. That's who God is. But God is also loving, just, good, gracious, wise, patient, and faithful. And we are called with the Holy Spirit's help to be that list on the right. Once the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us as a Christian, those attributes on the right can become true of us. 
They're a list that we are to grow in, in Christian maturity as we walk with the Lord. If we often talk in Christian circles about being conformed to the image of God. That list is the list we want to conform to. When we talk about being conformed to the image of God. I want to be good, gracious, kind, wise, patient, faithful, just, loving, and so on and so on. We are called to reflect God in that way. But the, the list on the left, the list that says only God is, that is a unique list which is for God alone and not for human beings. And you see, when as human beings we try to do those things, we then rival God rather than reflect God. And let's be honest here. Let me be really honest here. Although most of us don't like it said, so often we go after that list on the left because we think, oh, that list, it has in it such wonders that I would love to replicate. I mean, think, how many people spend their day plotting to be limitless in their love for other people? And then compare that to how many people in this world spend their day plotting to achieve limitless power in this world? How can I grasp power over all of mankind? You don't need me to talk about the news that we're looking at on our TV screens to see how some of this relates to what we are talking about. We know the list on the right is good. We know it is good for us. We know it is good for God's glory. And yet so often we gravitate to the lift on the left. That's where we are pulled and gravitate to. But that list is not good for us. And it does not glorify God. The challenge, friends, is to reflect God as Jesus Christ did on this earth. Jesus Christ was the one who reflected God perfectly by being loving, just, good, gracious, wise, patient, and faithful. And we are called to be like God within our limited humanity. We are not like God. We are not divine. We are not that lift, list on the left. No, we are not. So we are not to rival him, rather we are to reflect him. So that's the first question. Will you rival or will you reflect? And the second and final question is, will you change how you measure? We've all been in, 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 in earthly human relationships that have started off really well. And there's a phrase that talks about the, the honeymoon period. The rosy time in a human relationship where everything goes well. That there's no effort required. Everything is just singing off the page. It could be the early days of a romance. It could be the early days of marriage. It could be a new boss comes into the office. And there's a honeymoon period where everything goes well. It could be when a new manager takes over a football team. It, it could be so many things where there's this honeymoon period where everything just is perfect it's wonderful and then something happens someone lets you down an annoying habit surfaces 
you find out a character flaw about someone that you did not know. And you see a limit. And your lover, your hero, your best friend, your boss, whoever it is, is found wanting. And disappointment follows. That's something we've all experienced. All of us. Close friends who we thought were trustworthy until dot, dot, dot. Pastors, political leaders, husbands, wives, people have let us down. We believe that, that they could never disappoint us, only to learn that they had limits. So I want to challenge us to measure as God measures. Romans 5 and verse 20 talks of this. It says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You see, God measures our sin. But before we worry about that, his immeasurable grace exceeds them. So however much he may measure the wrong things he, you have done, his grace exceeds them and deals with them once and for all. Romans 4, 7 to 8. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one who's the sin the Lord will never count against them. He does not count your sin against you because of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. He does not count the wrong things you have done against you because of Jesus Christ. Because of his, him, the savior of the world, who has dealt with your sin and my sin once and for all. And because of this, because of God's great grace, because of Jesus stepping in, God then urges us to count and measure differently. And there are loads that I could give, but I just want to give you three ways that you can measure and count differently because of what Jesus has done for you. Number one, count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2 and verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vague conceit. Rather, in humility, here it is, count others above yourself. It's a challenge. It's difficult to do. But because of Jesus, the maths, the way we count, the way we measure should change. Other people are more important than my selfish needs. Secondly, Second way that we can measure and count differently. Philippians 3, verse 7 to 8 says this, But whatever were gains that I had, I counted them loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. So because of Jesus, we, we measure differently human success. We measure differently how we view our lives. It's not about what I can gain. It's not about how I can further myself in this world. It's how I can glorify Jesus. It's how I can love others. It's how I can do what Christ did in the world today in 2020. And finally, 
because of Christ. A third and a final way that we count differently, James chapter 1 and verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is tr tricky and this is tough and this is difficult, but we're to change how we view adversity. Could it be that in the challenges there is a blessing? Could it be that in the challenges we face, God is at work in our lives to do something in us to prepare us for what he has in the future? So to sum this up, could it be that as we grow more like Christ, as we grow more like Jesus, we measure and count differently? That the sign of maturity in Christ is that we measure and count differently in the ways we deal with others and the ways we deal with ourselves. It's a challenge. But remember the gospel. Remember that though Jesus counts our sins, his grace far, far exceeds the wrong things that we have done. So let me conclude. I realize or I hope that this morning I've given you like a, a three-course meal. I've given you something meaty to chew upon. I've given you something to, to get your teeth into and to meditate on and to go back to God's word and to think upon and wrestle with. So let me conclude. Each of you has a birthday. Each of you has a day that you were born. Each of you has a weight that you were born with. And that, that is, on your birth certificate, that is absolute, 100% proof that you are not like God. Because you are measurable and God is infinite. God is infinite. He's without limits. And we have a choice. And the choice is very simple, whether we embrace that truth or whether we deny that truth. It's a key question we all have to ask and respond to. My prayer for you is twofold today, and we're going to respond in a minute in worship. But my prayer for you is twofold. Firstly, I pray that you would be challenged to reflect and not rival the Lord. There's subtle ways that it can get in. But I pray that you would reflect the Lord rather than rival him. And secondly, my second prayer is that you would have a greater dependence upon the infinitely limitless but dependable God. That you would have a greater dependency on him of whom nothing is impossible. Because if God is limitless which he is, if God is infinite, which he is, then nothing is impossible. Nothing in your life, nothing in all the earth is impossible. So that's my two prayer points that I want to pray for us in a moment, that we would go from this place to reflect and not rival, and we would go from this place with a greater dependency upon the one of whom nothing is impossible. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that wonderful? The truth of whom God is. That's the first log we're putting on the fire. 
Can we stand and worship, guys? Can you come up? Just before I pray and we worship with the final song, just, just take a moment. Just close your eyes for a moment. Just take a moment before God. Just still yourself. Psalms again says, be still and know that I am God. Just before we pray, before we sing, before we conclude our time together. Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that God is infinite. He is infinite. You cannot contain him. You cannot measure him. You cannot restrict him. We're not called to rival him, but we're called to reflect him. Let me pray, and then we're going to worship. Father God, I thank you for the glorious truth of who you are. I thank you for the glorious truth that God is infinite, infinite, limitless in your love, limitless in your power, limitless in the good that you would do to us, limitless in your patience, limitless in your wisdom. You are limitless in every way. Forgive us, Lord, for the limitations that we put upon you, that our human brains put upon you. Forgive us, Lord. I pray today would be the beginning of an opening and the beginning of a widening and broadening and deepening of an understanding of who you are.